Welcome to the District Podcast, brought to you by the Spectator World Edition. I'm contributing editor Chadwick Moore, joined today by Owen Matthews. Owen is an author and historian. He's a writer for The Spectator and The Spectator's Russia editor and former Moscow bureau chief for Newsweek magazine. Owen, thank you for coming on. As of this morning, Russia has now launched attacks into Ukraine, not just along the border, but into Kiev. Putin is seemingly behaving dangerously and unpredictably. Is that true? Is he a madman? What is going on here? Uh, Well, it's great to be on, Chadwick. The really surprising thing is not that me, other Western commentators, uh, outsiders are surprised. The The thing that is really extraordinary to me is how many people that I considered friends, sources, et cetera. People who I considered very well informed, people who have worked in the Putin machine, in his, in his media machine, uh, in his diplomatic machine for decades were surprised. He took a lot of people by surprise, including a bunch of people who work for him. And that's really, uh, that's really bizarre, particularly when we look at what's gone before other military incursions that he's, done in Georgia and Crimea in 2008, 2014, they were really clearly signaled for a long time by the Kremlin media. And nobody knows what's in Putin's mind. I can't answer your question whether he's gone mad. He suddenly speaks like an unhinged person. It's really very clear that something has happened in his head to make him abandon a lot of very constructive diplomacy, a lot of strategic advantages that he'd been building up over the over over years but what's really clear is that this was a very impetuous decision that it was really not signaled i mean the as late as sunday night the russian media and the russian foreign ministry were still pushing the line that you know it's all about diplomacy where the grown-ups you're you're being the west is being hysterical about uh about military build-up we're not going to invade ukraine and then suddenly it just turns on a dime and he's prompted to go full tonto, uh, which was what, the, the, in the words of the British defense minister, uh, full tonto for American listeners means completely crazy. So this is something really interesting that you mentioned in a recent piece, and it was because you, you don't hear anything about this, but it was a study, it was a, a report of something about 66% of young Russians under the age of 25 have a favorable opinion of Ukraine. Something we haven't heard yet about is how do Russians feel about this? What is their take on Ukraine and and this uh, show of force? And and why don't we ever hear about that? There's a simple answer and a complicated answer. Because the, the simple answer is their answer depends on, uh, their response to, to, to polls depends on what you ask them. Perfect example is earlier this month, Vetsa uh, IOM, which is not an independent polling center, it's literally a state controlled in polling operation in Moscow, did an open-ended poll saying, uh, asking Russians who they trusted, asking to name a politician that they trusted. 28% owned, uh, named Vladimir Putin, 28%. When you ask that poll in a different way, is it like multiple choice, do you trust Vladimir Putin or not? It comes out at 68% do trust him. And it's the same with lots of polling. Um, you, it's hard to poll people who don't really have any real political choice. But however, uh, snap polls do show uh, more or less a wide, uh, a narrow plurality of Russians who support Putin, Putin's stated mission in Ukraine. But let's unpack that a little. His stated mission in Ukraine is not yet 
to take over Ukraine and incorporate it in the Russian Empire. I mean, he said things that make us worry about that that might be his ultimate goal. But right now, what the media is signaling is two things, like to liberate uh, Russian speakers in eastern Ukraine from so-called, quote-unquote, genocide, which they claim is happening. And secondly, is to disarm um, Ukraine and liberate it, again, quote-unquote, from fascists who they have, again, warming up old cliches from 2014 um, that fascists have allegedly taken over in Kiev. So all of that old messaging from 2014 is kind of hitting home and Russians are apparently on snap polls, um, who knows exactly how reliable they are, um, you know, broadly for the moment behind it. But this is day one and clearly uh, Putin is hoping for or assuming that there's going to be what Russians call the Crimea effect. After he took Crimea in 2014, he had a gigantic boost of, of, boost of popularity. He was never more popular than the year or so that followed his annexation of Crimea. He's hoping that's going to happen again. Um, I personally have strong doubts about that for three reasons. One, uh, I think it's going to be much more bloody. Two, it's an open-ended campaign with no clear victory. He's not going to come back with some kind of shiny imperial bauble like Crimea, which has a deep place in hearts and minds and imaginations of millions of Russians. They will vacation there. It's like a sort of beautiful sort of Florida-like part of um, He's not going to come back with anything like that. Um, and most, but most importantly, um, he's, uh, there's a very profound somewhat ambiguous but profound uh, kinship between Ukrainians and Russians. And I think a lot of R Russians actually have family ties with Ukraine. A lot of, uh, a lot of Russians you know, maybe have bought the, drunk the Kool-Aid and believe that there are fascists in Ukraine, but the prospect of actually sending their kids to fight in Ukraine or of Russian kids coming back in body bags fighting their Ukrainian brothers that's a whole different proposition. Well, then is a, a benefit as Putin sees it in his relationships with the West is just simply him. It's a show of force to be taken more seriously and not just someone who's constantly threatening aggression, but to show that he he may he may pull back. But uh, he wants to show that that he should be listened to. And he's not just um, a, a saber rattler, as you if you'd, uh, mentioned in one of your pieces. I think it's frankly gone beyond that. Well, beyond that, Chadwick, um, I, I don't think it's about what the West thinks at all. I mean, all the diplomacy, the diplomatic game was going really well for Putin. And this is one of the great paradoxes. This is why um, so many people believe that, including myself, I have to admit that I just did not, I underestimated his capacity for irrationality. The Putin that I've been writing about for my 22 years uh, of my career has always been extremely calculating, extremely rational. He's always been a master of divide and rule, of salami tactics, of, of strategic ambiguity, which you see again and again, even in his aggressions, even in Syria, even in Georgia, even in you know, Eastern Ukraine in 2014, there was always deniability. There was always people who he could get in Europe on his side. Now, He's just li literally just tipped up the, the chessboard. Everything yeah. that he worked to, 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 to achieve, all of that sort of divide and rule, the people in Europe, that he, they were, the, the leaders that were on his side, like Hungary's president, Viktor Orban, 
always a great Putin cheerleader. There's no way that he's going to be a Putin cheerleader anymore. anymore. All the sort of MAGA Trump guys <clears throat> who were, and Trump himself, who called his uh, Putin's uh, move uh, a genius. I mean, all of that stuff, I mean, th- th- he's put himself beyond the pale. So uh, if your question is like, this is to prove that the West, that he's like a serious guy that goes through his promises, it's not really about proving anything to the West. It's literally by, it's a, it's a different order of magnitude. This is not a, a game anymore. This is not diplomatic maneuvering. This is, you know, there's no summits after this. There's no more, you know, sort of chatting at long tables with world leaders who beat a path to your door. He basically screwed the pooch on this one. And that's what makes it so inc- incomprehensible because all of the progress that he was making or um, incremental, whatever, he's decide- decided that's not enough. I'm now going to compel Ukraine to do what I want it to do, i.e. not move towards NATO or Europe. I think he's fundamentally spectacularly wrong and he will achieve precisely the opposite effect, which uh, brings us back to our early question, like, has he gone completely crazy? Um, yes, I think he has become irrational and does not no longer sees his own advantage. Right. And you, you've mentioned in, in The Spectator before that everything seemed to be going very well, particularly with energy and with the Kremlin's, with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And that, you know, that pipeline combined with Europe, uh, as you write, um, you know, pushing to decarbonize, replacing coal with gas, uh, with gas prices going up that these were great opportunities for Russia, which have now been put in the tank. Uh, So the Biden administration has announced sanctions. I don't recall a time that Russia hasn't faced economic sanctions, and they still continue to press on. As you mentioned earlier, uh, in 2008, under George W. Bush is when we had Russia involved in aggressions with Georgia. Of course, Crimea under Obama. Uh, what has been the strategy with with the American presidents, you know, from Obama to Trump to Biden in dealing with Russia? And what's the effect been throughout the three of those? Well, I think that the, the, the basic lesson is that as Russia's ambassador to Sweden, really classy guy, said two weeks ago to the press, his official position was like, Russia does not give an SHIT, except he actually didn't say it like that, about sanctions. They just literally don't care. So they claim. And in the sense, he's sadly right. The kind of sanctions that have, have been wielded so far have, one, totally failed to change Putin's behavior. Uh, there is literally nothing that has really, um, the, the discernible that has changed Putin's behavior. In fact, it's actually, he's proceeded exactly on the, on the, on the, on the, the course that he was always going to proceed on, except that they just caused irritation. And uh, there's really nothing in the current sanctions that is different from the old sanctions, which kind of leads to a new debate. Sanctioning individuals, preventing people from individuals from owning property, having businesses, traveling and so on in the West. Well, that's fine. But actually, in Putin's real inner circle, those kind of sanctions are a badge of honor. In fact, I've been in, like on talk shows in Moscow among groups of politicians and people are sort of bragging to each other, like, I well, not bragging to each other, like sort of joshing each other. So, what? You haven't been sanctioned yet? Like, what kind of patriot are you, you sad 
literally it's like mean, being it's, banned on twitter <laughs> what, you're like you're not sanctioned like god damn it like really i mean so what you know you know small time you know come on and uh you know so it's, so, so those kind of sanctions I, I they just literally laugh at them i have been a witness to them literally laughing them off so you know clearly you can actually uh very much punish russia in a different way um, uh, but that actually requires some economic pain. Uh, first and foremost, of course, it's uh, about divesting or sort of weaning Europe off Russian gas. But you know, good luck with that, because Russia can currently, I mean, it depends how you measure it, but produce uh, uh, supply something like even slightly over 40 percent of Russia's of, of, the, of Europe's natural gas. And that's a function of Germany closing down its nuclear power stations and coal power stations and so on. All that, all that green agenda has just, you know, that's uh, not buying gas from, from Putin is, will be extremely economically painful. But actually, there's lots of other things. I mean, the, if you're really talking about sort of swinging sanctions, you literally close down Russian acts. You, you literally do not allow Russian companies to list on stock exchanges. You impose, uh, there's a statutory instrument, a law in Britain called an, an unexplained wealth order, which came, uh, was signed into law a couple of years ago, but actually, frankly, um, has not been used very well, but it, it's basically reverses the burden of proof. It's a very controversial thing in the common law, but nonetheless, it means that property and business owners are forced to account for where they the, the origin of, of, of the money that they're investing, otherwise they lose their businesses or properties. So it, if, if uh, for instance, the British wanted to really um, sanction Russia, they could um, issue 2000 of those unexplained wealth orders tomorrow to everybody who's connected in any way with the regime, you know, putting all of their properties and businesses online. Um, Britain is not a uh, superpower, so financial superpower, in the same way as America is, obviously. But the um, they Britain could suddenly take a leaf out of America's book because when you look at what the U.S. did, what the Obama administration did with uh, Swiss banking, I mean, essentially after a major leak from UBS, there was uh, uh, the the American financial system was powerful enough to say, if you guys do business with tax evaders, you will not do business anywhere in the world. I mean, Britain has one major financial sort of um, superpower, I mean, secret weapon, and that's the power of the city of London. So, I mean, there's actually quite a lot of things that can be done beyond actually sanctioning individuals. You could literally just, well, for a start, and, and also you could cut off Russia from the SWIFT, which is a bank clearing system, international they no longer have the technical ability to transport money in or out of Russia. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a long, long way this can go. But in order to do that, you need to be able to accept economic pain, particularly in Europe. You, know, you just need to cut off all Russian investment, all Russian ties, the listings of all Russian companies. You know, it, it's going to hit a lot of innocent people, unfortunately. Um, there are plenty of honest Russian businessmen out there. But like, if you're really... A, in the business of fighting economic warfare against somebody uh, who's fighting real warfare, then that's what it's going to take. All right, and this is all obviously all developing, and we're going to see if the governments of the UK and and the United States how they do respond, and if any of those measures will be taken. Owen Matthews, thank you so much for joining us. Please find him in the Spectator, Spectator UK, and also the Spectator World. I've been Chabuk Moore, and thanks for listening. Thanks for coming on, Owen. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. 
And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.